0: Well, welcome this morning. And uh, I would just say, uh, gorgeous morning. Thank you to those who've been praying. Um, Some of you have asked about Patricia and have heard that uh, this was quite a week for the India team. Uh, They canceled all their flights, uh, four flights in India, because Kingfisher Airlines went out of business during the week, that makes it hard to travel. And uh, then um, yesterday we got a call at eight in the morning saying that the, the plane was late, they'd lost their flight uh, through Amsterdam to India, and not only that, they'd been bumped off the flight, and so lots of fun things, and after praying through most of the morning, and by the way, this is very normal before you go on trips, uh, somewhere here or there, so, uh, but it was it's a little tough. And then I sound like Froggy the Gremlin, um, this morning, and she did fine, but the night before she left, I guess she caught it from me, so um, she's doing great, they made it to Amsterdam, Um, and so I'm I'm a happy camper because of that, Uh, although this has been an Amelia Bedelia morning for me, Uh, on the way over here, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I'd sent her a text last night, I was up late, and sent her this text, and I got up at three in the morning to see if I'd gotten one back, there was nothing, that's just so much unlike her. And then I got up at 6 again this morning and there was nothing. And I realized the text I had written, I'd forgotten to send. It was really a nice one, too, folks. But uh, So I put one right underneath it to amend it, uh, begging for forgiveness and uh, see if I'm still in, in the family will. But um, um, she texted me back. She's doing. She's uh, eating spite of her bug. She's a trooper anyhow, and her team, they're doing well. So... I uh, appreciate you continuing to pray for them. Um, yeah, And then the way over, I um, dropped my sunglasses, broke those. And uh, then I, since I have this stuff, I, I spit up on myself, coughing two or three times on, on the way over here. And um, um, and then spilled some water in the car trying to clean it all up. But other than that, it's been a great morning. <laughs> and I'm just delighted you're here. That doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today. But I appreciate your prayer for... Uh, as I share people, I say, how do you do with your wife gone? I said, I'm pathetic. So uh, that, that, that's really what the case is. But uh, also, some of you were here last week when our dynamic duo uh, shared, or better known as the and Jammer twins. Um, um, for some of you, that tells you if you laughed, I know how old you are. Uh, that was a cartoon when I was a kid. And it was in German, of all things. But, um, you know, uh, the most interesting part to me of last week... Was uh, John's picture? Remember, he shows you some pictures of the patio, and he was, and he said he was growing, p- growing things on the patio. He said, "I'm growing, I'm growing pot," in, in um, Or was it in pots that he said? Was it? Are you sure it was that? Well, I'm sitting in the back, and I, I admit I have a trouble hearing occasionally, but I'm thinking, isn't it amazing how one little letter makes a big difference? And isn't it amazing how little? Um, Often, um, little things make such a big difference. I don't understand. I know they do. Sometimes I don't understand. How could that little thing have made such a huge difference? But they do. For example, two people raised in the same family see the world so differently. You know, one wakes up and they see problems and there's complaint upon complaint. Another one wakes up. Hey, great morning. Glad to be here. And look at these opportunities in front of us. And you say, now... Where do they come from? How can you have this in the same family? And uh, it's, a, uh, it's a reality um, uh, where one would see opportunities, what's the difference, the other see problems, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And um, my question to you is, which one do you want to spend time with? Do you want to spend time with a whiner or with a winner? Well, that, that's a good question, because I think most of us would take the winner any day. Now, there's, I want to talk about winning a little bit today. One of the things I do know about winners is that they are all investors. That is, their life is a style of investing. And when I say investing, yes, they give their money or their resources, but they also give themselves, they give their energy to those things that are going to produce some dividends. And they also, wise investors, give themselves and invest in those things that will not fail over the long haul. There might be some short term losses, but they do not invest over the long haul for losses. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about this. What is what kind of investments never fail? Do you know of any? Uh, we're going, when Patricia gets back a week later, we're going back to Africa. <laughs> and uh, we were in Orange County last week with some guys on the team. One of them's a lawyer who will be going with the team to Africa. And he kind of heads up uh, a bunch of what, what happens there. And uh, so they were talking about, um, he, he and another buddy were talking about their Apple stock. You know, I don't mean, even though the Apple makes iPads and those things. And... Um, um, they uh, both talked about how they've invested in Apple. Would you like to know when they had invested? The highs and the lows? Well, that's another question. But uh, they were talking about their investments. And one said, well, I'm already out. i sold. Another one's just getting in and these kinds of things. And this morning, I want us, as we think about that, we, we live in a world of investment. But how does investing, generosity, and joy relate? How do they come together or do they at all? At Christmas, uh, one of our kids, um, as you know, we have a bunch of them. Excuse me, I'm... that's just water. Uh, it's hot water. My wife said I'm always in it, so I might as well drink it. Um, um, the, one of our kids, uh, actually one of my wife's side, um, decided uh, all the presents were open. And then, but nobody knew, as out came the grand finale. And uh, they delivered that morning nine iPads to family members who were there. Now, even if you get them on sale, that's a chunk of change. And all four of the kids got them on his family, and then some siblings, and then my wife got one. And uh, you know, it was amazing, wasn't just the gift, but it was the 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 noise, the celebration that went off afterward. I mean, there were from Yippies to Yahoo to says No Ways to Shut Up. By the way. I've had to tell my kids, now I know that's an expression, but just don't use that one with me, even if you're celebrating, right? Kids say shut up when they, oh, that's, you know, some of you are well aware of that one. So the the celebration was amazing. And there's something about generosity that sets off celebrations. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Elvis was also very generous, the real Elvis. Uh, There's some of these stories you have to find between fact and fiction, but There was a a time when he, one day he got ticked off and fired his whole staff on the spot. You're out of here, you're all gone, boom. He went to bed, slept on it, thought it over. He says, Well, he called his his, um, manager, whom he'd fired, and he said, You know what, tell them to come back. And not only did they come back, he bought them all new Cadillacs. And they were saying, You know, fire us more often. You know, this is the way it works. Someone says, Well, that's nothing. Uh, I mean, our government tops that all the time, giving away things that, you know, other people's money. But, uh, by the way, do you know what Christopher Columbus and the government have in common? He didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was, and he did it all and borrowed money. <clears throat> I'm sorry if you work for the government. but Anybody here ever make an investment that you wish you had back? I see some, yeah. yeah I see some noddings here. You remember when housing in California was a can't miss deal? Does anyone remember that era? It did exist, yeah, even, uh, anyhow. And, but what happened? Well, the target, somebody missed the target and they switched the price tags because, you see, sure can't miss targets move. They're not the same. What, what today looks like the greatest deal going, in a personal life or in business can shift very very quickly and some people folks are investing their lives in things and people in activities that merely are going to lead to short-term gain but also to long-term long-term they are guaranteed to fail if they keep going in that direction and I hope you know by now I'm talking about more than money I'm talking about where we put our time, our energy, our priorities, our relationships. Where are the investments that will not fail? Now, the interesting thing is that those who don't fail, those investments that don't fail in life, are usually overlooked and underestimated. They don't seem like big deals. And that's why many of us can go right past them and miss them that God's put in front of us because they're underestimated and they're overlooked. So the question is this, what do generosity and joy reveal about my life? We want to look at that this morning, and uh, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bible, if not, it's right there for you in your outline. And we're going to be looking, what is it that makes a person joyful? What is it that makes a person generous? And before we read this, let me ask this, how many would like uh, more joy in life? How about that? Yep, pretty much in this. How many would like to be more generous? Okay, very good, very good. You know, uh, sometimes there's an economy. We, we want to be more joyful, but I'm not sure about the generosity part. So let's look at this. What is it that makes a joyful person? So let me read to you. It says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Stop. Uh, This would be like modern-day India. This would be like modern-day Africa. Tested trials, and very poor, and in some cases, the Romans. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Stop. Stop. How can that be? That's what we want to look at. For I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. How do you do that? (laughs) And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing the gift for the believers in Jerusalem, just like we do here in America. Oh, it didn't say that at the end, did it? Amazing. How did this possibly happen? What produced their generosity and joy? Well, it's obvious from the passage. They had a banner year in business, didn't they? And they had circumstances that were sailing, smooth sailing, right? Isn't that what it says? No, what does it say? It says that they were being tested by many troubles for being believers and other reasons. And they were very poor. Yet these are the people used as a model in the New Testament of generosity and joy. I need to tell you something. What we've discovered, when we go around the world, these poorest of the poor people, and we work with their leaders, have far more joy than we do in America. And I'm including myself. Far more joy. You see, we have things we worry about that they're never going to worry about. If you don't have it, you can't worry about it. And they find joy in the smallest thing. Amazing. But the other part of that is they're they're generous and they're joyful. These are not whiners. They're winners. And if anybody had a right to complain, God, why would you deal with such a bad hand? How come life is so tough for us? But they don't. They're generous and they're joyful. Amazing. It tells us something. Generosity is not about circumstances or bank accounts. It's not about who has the best job. And joy isn't about how nice or circumstances going for me. It doesn't have anything to do with that. You see, generosity and joy are a matter of the heart. That's what's being revealed here. How do you get a heart like that? Now, folks, you've seen it. If you go into the slums here, you can see, and it doesn't even have to be there, people struggling and yet can have amazing joy. Where does that come from? You know, when I was a young pastor and planted a church, and before we brought on other staff and grew and all that, I had to do a bunch of counseling. I didn't know what I was doing. But I'd get into financial counseling with people. And they come in, man, I, I, I'm in debt. I'm struggling. A guy drove up one day in his Mercedes, and we were in Orange County at the time, and telling me he's really struggling financially and could the church help him out? i say, now that lease is how much a month, you know, on your Mercedes? and what he was talking about is how you give me some help so I don't have to adapt my lifestyle. And so the first thing I asked him was, I'm young and I'm just naive. And so I said, well, tell me, how much do you give to God? Well, I can't give to God. Things are too tight. I mean, I don't have enough money. And I said, I think that's your problem. You see, you don't start with what you need to spend on your lifestyle. We start with giving to God first. Why? You ever thought about that? Why does God, the first thought with any of our money, if we're going to do it according to what God wants? It's not the house I want to buy. It's not the this. It's not the kids' college. Why is God first? What do you think? How many think it is first? All right. We're, we're agreed on that. Because it's all God's. Right? Everything we have. He says, well, wait a minute, man. I worked hard and I invested. You know, it, it helped me years ago. There's a passage in Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 818. The reason I know that address is my mother's address was 818 Plaza Drive. Okay, for for, uh, the 60 years she lived there. It says this. Remember, it is God who gives you the ability to make wealth. So it's not that I'm so smart. Where did the smarts come from? I know how to do deals. Hey, I invested the right place. Who gave you all those ability? No one's going to stand before God and say, Hey, you know, God, uh, are you impressed with what I did? And he says, You know what? You did do a good job. But I just want you to remember where it came from. Every ability, anything you have that's good, the house that we built, whatever it might be, the business we planned, the deals we closed, guess what, God gave us the ability to do that. So now how can I stand up and say, man, aren't I good? He will say, you're a good and faithful servant if you've taken his stuff and used it well. Because that's a matter of the heart. So it's all his to begin with. But the question goes back to, how do we get a heart like this, these people? And verse one is the key. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and His kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. Well, what's that? It says God's kindness is why they have a heart like that. Because you know what the word kindness is here? This is the NLT. The word here is charis. It's the word grace. God's favor, His grace, produced this in them. It's what we just talked about. God is doing a special work in people's hearts. And see, they have more joy than the people around them, though they have less, and they're going to have all kinds of problems. Because problems and poverty cannot curb what the heart can do when God's involved in it. So we want to ask the question, what's the proof of God's presence and power in our lives? We just looked at it. And wherever you find givers, people who are generous, and I don't just mean with their bucks, but their time, helping people with their resources, people who are generous, who give beyond their means... You have a revelation of the favor grace of God. Did you know it's also true in a marriage? Many marriages struggle. Here and anywhere else. It's true in a business. And and when God shows up in a marriage, in a business, in a church, here's what's happened. It shows that more is being given. More is being invested. There's more generosity than there is taking. By the way, what is it about takers or demanders You know, no one wants to be called a taker. No one wants to be known as a demander, but there are plenty of us who struggle with these things. Where does it come from? You know why? Because it's all about me. I want to make sure I get my share and then, you know, maybe I'll worry about somebody else after that. It's part of human nature. I don't know about you, but I have to fight it. I've had to since I was a little kid. It's all about me. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, that's the way to misery. The way to joy is different and I want the world to understand me, all about me. There's an article I ran across this week. See if I can read it. It's about me, myself and I. The way a person writes can reveal his psychological stage. That's according to research by the University of Texas professor James Pennebaker. He writes in the Harvard Business Review about a computer program that counts and categorizes words into... um, I'm going to have to take these off to read them. This is for even smaller. Well, I have one eye that can still read small, I think. Uh, It it, um, categorizes into function of words, pronouns, articles, so on, conjunctions, and, and content words, nouns, verbs, adjectives, that convey meaning. Using the program, he analyzed 400,000 texts, including college essays, text messages, transcripts from press conferences, and chat room conversations. Some findings were surprising. When we analyzed poems by writers who committed suicide, oh my, versus poems by those who didn't, we thought we'd find more dark and negative content words in the suicide's poetry. We didn't. We did not. But we did discover significant differences in the frequency of the words like I. Hmm. Pennebaker explained, pronouns tell us where people focus their attention. If someone uses the, the pronoun I, it's about self-focus. So, someone says, well, what's the weather like outside? You could answer, it's hot or I think it's hot. The I think may seem insignificant. Hot's quite different, is quite meaningful. It shows you're more focused on yourself. Depressed people use the word I much more often than emotionally stable people. People who are lower in status use I much more frequently. I'm not sure what all that means, but I think God said that a long time ago. Before a researcher discovered it. And folks, it also says that generosity and joy also reveal the kind of heart. And secondly, it says this. It reveals the source of my heart's treasure. Look at verse 5. It says... But even more, uh, even, they did even more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord Jesus and to us. Just as God wanted them to. Amazing. The secret of their generosity and joy is that they gave themselves to Christ first. They said, here I am. It's my life. You see, their treasure, what, treasure wasn't in their treasures. Their treasure was Christ. That's where it came from. The treasure was their redeemer, the ultimate reward, the friend of their soul. In James chapter 2, James talks about those who are uh, the poor are favored by God. You say, what? I'm sorry, folks. I do not want to trade places with any poor person. He says, for they are rich in faith. You see, they have no other option. They have nothing. And so they find joy in a God who can meet needs in an impossible way. How can you have joy when you have nothing else? That's where God comes in. They're desperate. They're hungry for God. And somehow when you think of poverty and you think of watching the Romas and and others who are even worse off around the world, two billion people live on less than 750 bucks a year. (laughs) The interesting thing is that how many wounds and damaged hearts and things like these, these Romas who have the father's concept is just not there? What kind of damage does that do to the soul? It does amazing damage, just like it does in America. And yet we begin to see somehow their hearts have generosity and joy. Because when you make Jesus your treasure, there's a healing that starts to take place inside in those broken areas and hurt areas of our life. If he is our treasure, not the stuff that he gives is the treasure. He is the treasure. Something happens on a supernatural basis that I can't explain, but God does it. And they discovered his healing power. Now, my earthly treasure is my wife and my kids and grandkids and dear friends and you guys. And But you know what? Uh, that's why putting her on a plane to go to a place like India for two weeks... I battle with that one. Yeah, I do. And, and uh, um, you know, Lord, she's the treasure you've given me. And take good care of her. By the way, she will have a good time. She, she just rises above it all. But it comes from God. They are an earthly treasure, but he is the treasure. And verse 9 tells us something else. Look at this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became what? Poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. That's a strange expression. You see, it was Jesus' poverty, his willingness to give up everything, sacrifice his life, that gives you and I an opportunity for eternal riches in a relationship with him. That's counterintuitive. That's an oxymoron. There's no human that would do that except God Himself. And that's what He's done for you and me. And so Jesus is our model of true investing. Jesus is our model of generosity. Jesus is our model of payoff. You know what isn't? Wall Street isn't. Hollywood's not. They have their day in the sun or shade this afternoon. It's not Capitol Hill. It's not Nashville. The NFL... The MLB, although it is pretty nice to see what's going on in the NBA right now, isn't it? Anybody caught up with Lin Sanity? Had a great quote I was going to share with you this morning from him. He's a strong believer, Jeremy Lin, And he's taking China. He has two million hits a day on his Twitter, a Chinese Twitter account, because he's fluent in Mandarin. Did you know that? And they're going crazy over there. And they know he's a Christian. He's from Taiwan. That's even, ooh. Anyhow, those of you who understand international things. Some of you don't even know who Jeremy Lin is, right? He's the hottest thing in pro basketball right now. But Jesus is the model of a heart of generosity and love. Now, folks, in America, we've lost what love means. You see, Jesus became poor. That means he gave up his life. He died. There is no such thing as true love without sacrifice. If it's convenient, it's not much love. That's just called convenience. When a person has to give up something of themselves in order to love another person, now we're getting into real love. It involves sacrifice. And when a marriage goes south, what's happened is somewhere along the line, somebody quit sacrificing or they never started. It was all about them and their happiness and their whatever, and, and it went south. It was all about them. Did you know it's true in the business world? It's true in the church. It's true in sports. When things begin to fall apart, it's all about me. Now notice the sequence in here. It says, first of all, they gave themselves to who? To God. They gave themselves to Christ. And then it says, they gave themselves to Paul. Jesus is the treasure first, and then came the ability to give of their own gifts to Paul. My mentor said years ago, he said, no, He says, as a person is toward God, So they are in all relationships. And he was quoting somebody else. We just don't know who it was. Did you catch that? As I am toward God, it's going to show up in every relationship I have. What does that mean? Well, that's why it's so important that Christ is my treasure. If I ignore God in some area, it's going to show up in my relationships. It's a matter of time. It will. If I neglect God, I will neglect people. If I use God, I will use people. If I cheat in my heart with God, I'm going to cheat in my relationships. It's simply that. If I want to know how I'm doing with God, I can look at my relationships. How am I treating people? Who am I going out of my way to help? Because as soon as I neglect God, I'm going to neglect people. There are no exceptions. There never has been. Regardless of time, era, history, race, or anything. Or religion. That's just the way it is. Now, I may not like that. (laughs) I've had to say, oh God, so many times. You need to say this too. Some of you are in relationships or in families where you have, you're surrounded by some very selfish people. And they will let you give and give and give and give and do very little in return. I'm not talking about you keep giving and giving and giving without interrupting that. You need to read the books on boundaries. There's a new one out by Townsend called Beyond Boundaries, which is outstanding as well. You need to interrupt that and say, you know what, God says this is wrong. I'm not going to continue to do this because I'm damaging you and I'm violating the character of God by allowing you to think that you can treat someone this way. It does not please Him. I just encourage you to read if that's fine yourself in some of those. But you see, generosity is a matter of the heart and it reveals my true treasure. And the treasure will always come back. There's only two choices. The treasure of my life is either Christ Or it's me. It's all about me. My happiness, my fun, my joy. I'm going to do what I want when I want. And we might even use religion to say it's not true. And so, oh, God, give me a heart that wants you as its greatest treasure. And God is not our convenience to help us get the job done. God is our treasure. So that if everything else is taken from us, and one day it will, every person has everything they've ever had taken from them when they go through the door of death, you didn't lose your treasure. Because you have him and he has you. What great news that is. Let me ask you this. Whose responsibility is it in our world to take care of the poor, the abused and neglected, the persecuted? Is it the government? Whose responsibility is it to go to the Romas and these people in India and Africa and inner city LA and areas around here where people are struggling? And single moms and who who, who is that? You see, God's called us, didn't he? Why? Because we have the treasure. We have the answer. You say, but I don't even know what to do. I know. That's how I started. I had no clue. And many of you are involved in doing things in this community right now. I see some of you here. you shared it. Kingdom Center, working with people, single moms and all kinds of things. And praise God for you. But God's called us to. Because who speaks for those without a voice? God calls us to do that. And just seeing our youth today, who are just experienced all those boxes when you came in, that's the 30-hour 30, 30 hunger or famine, where the kids didn't eat for 30 hours, and then they got to eat this morning, and uh, taking the proceeds of that and sending it to people who are needy in the world. Great, in fact, sometimes I think we as parents could, could learn a lot from the kids, couldn't we? I just um, picked up an article this week. Who's speaking? Did you know this week was the celebration of the one-year anniversary of the overthrow of the Mubarak uh, um, regime in Egypt? And how do you think it's going a year later? I said last February, because I was here then, that this will not be a celebration. I said it can't be, because that void will be filled by the Muslim Brotherhood. So they were quoting Egyptians on the front, who were part of the rebellion, who were part of saying we want a new regime. They're saying it's worse now than it was then. And the same oppressive laws that were there by Mubarak have not been removed, more have been added because the Muslim Brotherhood is in full control and not only that, they're killing Coptic Christians who are fleeing the country by the thousands. It's just like Iraq. As bad as Saddam was, there was a haven for Christians because he didn't care. And over 100,000 of those Christians fled and, and people fled to Syria for refuge. And you know what's going on in Syria right now? The government, which is we're helping overthrow, is allowing the Muslim Brotherhood once again to take over and slaughter Christians. If I had time, I could read you another article in this magazine about the quoting of some of these terrorists. Here we go. It says, the worker reported that several Muslim taxi drivers vowed to harm all women customers who were unveiled. These women mostly less orthodox Muslims and Christians are being kidnapped, raped, and even killed. And it says that the extremists have been on TV, Syrian television, encouraging Muslims to kill Christian women. The tone of the Muslim discussion isn't whether we have the right to oppress these people, but whether we should allow them to live or not. These are our Christian brothers and sisters, folks. This is going on in the world right now. And just as we heard about the Romans this morning, question is, who's speaking out? What's our government doing? We need to overthrow this government. We don't care if the Christians are killed in the meantime because, oh, well, they sided with Assad. They sided with Mubarak, even if they didn't, which they didn't. We can kill them now. We were looking for an excuse to begin with. Let me ask you, who has more power to do something about this, me or you? I'm sorry, I know it's a little uncomfortable right now. I don't have any more power than you do. What if some of us got together and said, we've got to write a congressman? Because now we know about it. And you think it's not going to happen in Libya? And wherever this world is happening right now? I told you, as Patricia goes to India, um, two of our pastors from the state of Washington were refused visas. Because when I got a visa a few years ago, it says, will you engage in any proselytizing? I said, no, I won't and I can say that honestly because I'm teaching them how to do it and they'll do it far better than I will <laughs> but now it says to get a visa will you engage in any religious activity of any kind see they want everybody out except Hindus out of out of uh, India and we, there were two there was a, a team of women from Australia just got sent home from working in the orphanage helping the children because quote they were engaging in in uh, religious activities this stuff is growing and what's that got to do with me and what's that got to do with generosity we've got enough problems here in America I know but Jesus these are our brothers and sisters that Christ laid his life down for who are dying and who's speaking up for them I pray you go home and pray about that one If we all wrote letters to some congressman if we did something final question is this one how will I respond to God's coaching me to a generous lifestyle? In fact, is he? And I don't mean just financially, but how about my relationships? How about sharing my faith? Am I generous? How about helping make disciples? And will I invest my life and my resources for Christ? What's the other option if I don't? What is it? I waste my life on myself. Folks, that's what Jesus says. Oh, yeah, he gives us enough to take care of our families and so on. But if I, if I don't do any more than that, I've wasted my life. And he wants us to invest our life to produce fruit. And by the way, I asked this in the first service. What do you think prevents or blocks generosity? I struggle with this one my, my whole adult life. What is it that's, that causes, blocks generosity in our life? What, what is it that makes it hard to be generous? What would you say? Fear, very definitely fear. And what's the fear of? Am I gonna have enough, right? We who have more than a generation, the history of the world, we're afraid are we're gonna have enough. So it's not the amount. What else? That's, that's exactly right. What, why, why, are we, why do we struggle? Why do I battle? Why do you battle with generosity, with time, with, with involving ourselves where there's needs, with our money? What else? unbelief. That's actually the biggest one. Not to mention selfishness and lack of models. The biggest is lack of faith. Look at this. The next point is simply, do I believe his promises? Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds, any farmers in here? Or did? Beside LJ, little John? um, Will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And God will generously provide you all you need then you'll always have left over, you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The question is, do I believe that? I mean, God said it. And when you think about a farmer, um, you know, farmers have to ask a lot of questions. Number one, what are you going to plant? You've got to plant the right seed, right, if you want the right crop. And you've got to know where you're going to plant it. And when, you know, you plant it in the right season. In California, you can plant anytime you want. But I was raised in the Great mid and you just don't plant in, in, in the winter. There's not a whole lot happening back there, you know, in Sugar Creek, uh, Indiana, and those kinds of places. You, you, you plant in the right season, or you're going to be greatly disappointed. And you, it's where you plant. You know, you want fertile soil. And then how do you plant? If you, according to this verse, if you want a big crop, what do you have to do? Yeah, I put a lot of seed, right? Now, if you want just a little little stick of corn, just plant one here and plant one little seed. But if you want a big one, and this is what he's saying. And then he's saying, if you do this and you plant generously, you reap generously. Now, there's only a question here, folks, is do I believe that? How do I know I believe this verse? Very simple. What are you investing in? Where is your money going? Where is your time going? Where, how about our relationships? Is it more give or take? Very simple. We can know if we really believe this passage of Scripture. And it's interesting because it goes back and says, they begged for the opportunity to give. You know, Jesus told a story about that day, about the little widow's mite. She came in and said, gave her last penny. And Jesus said, she gave more than everybody. Everybody else gave out of abundance. Oh, they gave so it didn't hurt too bad. She gave till it hurt. I have to ask myself the same question. Do I believe the promises of God? And what God is saying is look at what you're investing. God's, and see remember this, it's his money, it's his time, it's his resources. And he says get in the game. And by the way, did you know this? That generous people, wherever they give, have far more God sightings. God keeps showing up in their life. Did you know that? They see his work because that's what generosity does, it makes you more in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing, and you begin to see God working in your life all over the place. So oh, I don't see God, well, if you haven't seen God in operation, it may be we have to look at how generous am I with my life. He keeps showing up, and you know what, it's what and how much are we sowing in God's work? and. Are we sowing in our marriage with those who have a need? You know, I've been carrying something in my Bible. It's, uh, it just calls, it's called Grow as a Sower. It's from the beginning of a book. And it's got five keys. It says, start each morning with a conscious commitment to go through your day with the mindset of a sower. Huh. That's number one. Number two, start each morning by opening yourself up to God's correcting spirit to help you see in yourself the places where you most need to grow as a godly steward. Convicts me every day. Start each morning asking God to fill your seed bag. Huh. God, I want you to use me today. At work, start each day praying with your team, if you can, or trusted colleagues about God. What are we going to do? And then the final thing is is celebrate and rejoice over every act of giving that anybody gives to you or that you get to give the opportunity to give. You know, and I just pray God burns that in my soul. And one of the things is, you know, we raise funds as we go around the world. I have ten times more joy when I'm looking, who can I give to today? And God seems to take care of so many other things. That's the law of God. I don't know how he does it. I just know that he does it. And then, what, when, and how will I decide to give? Read this next verse with me, would you please? Verse 7. Is this right there? It's a shorty. It says, here we go. You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Yeah. You see, what this is saying to me is to follow Christ is a commitment, it's a daily decision. And that daily decision, whether I'm going to follow him or not, reveals what I believe. How I'm going to spend my time, how I'm going to spend my gifts and my abilities reveals what I believe. I can, I can quote the creeds. That doesn't say what I believe. What I do reveals what I believe. And you know what? No decision or is a denial or a refusal. For example, a guy asks a girl to marry me, Will you marry me? And he says, Oh, I just want to think about it tonight. She does. And so he goes home, he's kind of waiting for a call. He calls, well, have you made up your mind? Oh, I need more time to think about it. Now, if this goes on for a week, he's beginning to get the feel here that, you know, this probably is not looking too good. If it goes a month, he says, oh, I'm still thinking about it. If it goes a year, what is your conclusion? This ain't going to happen. A delay is a decision, and it's a denial of what God asks. Oh, I'll get to it someday. God says, no. By the way, parents, this is great with your kids, too. Delayed obedience is called what? Disobedience. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And that's how God looks at it too. But he says, don't let anybody, don't give a response to pressure. That means don't let anybody coerce you. You know, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was flipping uh, from uh, looking for a PBS thing right before I went to bed. And I went to check some scores on ESPN. And I hit the wrong channel. And on came one of the... uh, you know the, the big hair uh, kind of channels. You know the, one of the religious channels. And and uh, this guy came on, and I'd seen him before, but he was speaking very calmly, and I listened for the first few minutes, and he kind of sucked me in. He was talking about you know God has made this universe according to principles that operate, whether you and I are aware of them or not, and some of them are called the law of sowing and reaping. And he starts talking. And the next thing you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is pretty good. About 12 minutes, and he says, and if you want a miracle in your life, then are you willing to trust God for the next year to invest $47, that's all, a month, and see what kind of miracle God will do? And if you are, put your hand out on the TV, and I'm going to ask God to send you a miracle. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he sucked me in. My whole life, I've heard these kind of guys. I can do a pretty good parody on them, too. He had just... He had just sucked me in. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. Now, folks, that's called coercion. He says, well, Roland, what are you doing right now? But notice something. I heard, I've had people read this verse and say, well, don't feel pressured. That means they don't have to give. That's not what that says. It just says don't let pressure make you give. It doesn't say don't give and excuse yourself. It just says don't be pressured. By me, by anybody else, by some slick or not so slick person on TV, or appeal of a, of a, a dying child who's starving. By the way, there's some places you give and, and you do more damage than good. That's why I mentioned before, when helping hurts, you need to read and give intelligently. But don't be coerced along the way. And I need to say something else. There are people who will manipulate you, and some of you live with them. Controllers, and in some cases, alcoholic families, where they're going to demand you, you just kowtow to them in their every little whim. And don't, cha- and don't challenge them. And again, I say get help. Unfortunately, there's some, even in a church like this, who control in that way. And God's saying it should not be. But it says God loves what? What kind of a giver does God love here? Cheerful. You know what that tells me? God loves attitudes. You see? And God loves an attitude that says, hey, give me an opportunity, God, versus the unbelieving stinginess. I can just remember how many years I prayed, God, you've got to change this stingy heart of mine. You've got to change it. Help me do something. And God says, well, it might help if you gave something. Well, I don't know how much. Give it a little bit. Give something. Give anything. Get started. Give him your time. Give him your bucks. Give compliments. Some people who can't give one because they know everything. You know, I, I, right before Christmas, we saw uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol. Isn't it amazing how, year after, you know it's coming, and yet you still love to go and see this thing, you know? And I thought, why is that so? Why is it, and this was a funny when they did a comical and they did it in a modern setting, it was, but it, it's still the same, the message came through, even though they got there in a different route. And I thought, what is it? You know what it is? Who's the star of the show? No, it's Scrooge. Scrooge is the star. The, the reason we go to see it is Scrooge. And you know why? Because we see ourselves in Scrooge. We all have a little bit of his stinginess. Oh, we wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't be telling me that. I got that. But we do. But it has a good news ending. The guy wakes up before it's too late. And he sees there's more to life than him and he begins to give and make a difference. And you know what? He gets happy because generosity is the key to joy. It doesn't come the other way. Getting enough stuff will never make you generous. It'll never give you enough joy. But generosity does that. And then what benefits will I either enjoy or miss because of my generosity? You know this last section we're going to close with this it says for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat now here he says it again here's my promise in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you God says he's going to increase our resources for what? if God gives you more stuff what's it for according to this so you can give again so your generosity can grow It's not so I can just spend it on myself increase your capacity for more generosity. Because, folks, here's the point. In God's game, it's not who scores the most points. You see, there are some people going to heaven and saying, look at what I did, I accomplished, I did all these things, and, and look at me. And God said, oh, you know what, I forgot to tell you. Actually, He did tell us. I don't give points for who scores the most points. God says, I give my rewards to those who have the most assists. Those who pass the ball to others to help them succeed through life, that's who God gives His rewards to. So who am I assisting in my life? And then he says, notice this, he says, he'll increase your resources, produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Does that excite you? This reveals my heart. If I don't get excited about always being generous, I need heart surgery. And if I do, God says, hey, you're moving in the right direction. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You know what's interesting about that? The benefit is per- perpetual generosity. You're going to meet others' needs, and they thank God. You say, well, wait a minute, I gave the gift. I know, it says, but they thank God. And if that doesn't sound exciting, you know why? It's like the little kid, and I, I remember it was a missionary scene, and he was in some country, it was war-torn, and, and he was starving, and a man came along, and he picked him up, and he gave him some water, he cleaned his wounds, and he gave this little guy some food, the first bread he'd had in days. The little boy looked up at him, and he said, Mister, are you God? Because generosity represents our God. Because that's what He is like. And so they give glory to God. They'll thank Him. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. But look at this. As a result of your ministry, that's your generosity, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. What proves I'm obedient? Not can I quote the creeds, not what I do in the Bible study, but in my generous proves I'm obedient to what God says. That's the proof of it right there. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace. There it is again. Nobody gives and nobody's generous apart from God's gracious work inside of us, given to you. Thank God for his gift, too wonderful for words. This past summer, I was struggling with a decision that infects our future. Patricia and I had been praying about it, and it was just agonizing, And I, because I knew it meant leaving a lot of money on the table if I made this choice. A lot. A scary amount for our ministry. And I said, God, but I've got to make it. You've made it clear. Three days later, I got a call, and to my shock, there was a gift for the amount of money that we had left on the table, and if I could have cried, I would. I said, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm just overwhelmed, and as a few days went on, I began to think back to the summer, and I I thought of, I remember a a friend of mine who does the same ministry we do internationally, and he had come home from a month in India and Africa, and folks, that's brutal, and that type of spiritual battle that you go through in those with no break in between. He came home. He was depleted. His accounts were depleted. And I know this guy. He's a godly man. I admire him. I I speak about him. And, And he was drained. And I said, God, what can I do? And I called him to encourage him. And he always calls me back. He didn't call me back for three or four days. Finally, I called his wife. And he said, he's afraid to call you. And as I was struggling, God, what do we do? The Lord put a certain amount of money in my mind. That we needed to give him. I don't say this to toot our horn, but I knew I had to, and I I struggled. It was a big chunk. We we hopefully get these kinds of big chunks up at the end of the year, so we can give one like that amidst our other giving. And the Lord said, "Give it." And we did. And uh, he called back, and after he found out a couple days later, and he said, "Hey man," he said, "You know, you shouldn't have done that and this and that." And I said, "Look, but." You know, how God's taking care of us, and I wanted to help you. And the joy was simply this. I watched God put the wind back in his sails. Here's a man the kingdom of God wants and needs to spread his kingdom. And then I thought, and I started, and kind of like God helped me connect the dots... This earlier this summer, you gave a chunk that you weren't sure, and you are struggling, and this is no, this is no great uh, boast, because I battled over giving it, folks. The stingy in me rose up its ugly head big time and said, God, am I going to, and God just said, give it. And then God said, you still think I can't meet your need when you face something months later? You see, he has to tell me this over and over. When it comes down to this, who are we going to believe? What the world around us tells us? What our experience tells us? It says simply, your generosity brings glory to God. It proves we're obedient to Him. It says they will pray for you because of the overflowing grace God gives to you and to them. I want to be part of that overflowing. And I believe you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who have given their lives to us and Lord Jesus, most of all you, who withheld nothing, but you gave yourself. I just want you to pray with me for a moment. You see, what God really wants from you and from me isn't our bucks. God doesn't need a loan, He wants our hearts. And he wants a heart that's willing to say, if you want me to go left, I'll go left. If you want me to go right, I'll go right. If you want me to give this much, I'll give this much. If you want me to do without in order so I can give, that's what I want to do and be. Because there is no generosity without sacrifice. But it all begins with giving him our hearts. This morning, what's God said to your heart? Is Jesus your ultimate treasure? or is it some of his gifts? You may struggle like I do. My family is my treasure, but they can't be my ultimate treasure. My success is important, but it can't be my treasure. My comforts, I love them, but they can't be my treasure. How about you? Can you say today, Jesus, give me the kind of heart that I can begin to make you my treasure. More than the gifts you give. More than the opportunities. More than the pleasures and the comforts. I want you to be my treasure. Oh, God, help me. Can you just offer that to him as a sacrifice and a sacrifice of praise that he is our treasure? God, help us to see you as that. And then can you also pray for a heart of generosity? See, obedience to the gospel isn't just what we say. It's what we do. Will you pray for a heart like Jesus? And that generosity means I will make a commitment from this day forward to give whatever God says to his work here and around the world. If you're not used to giving, give something. Do you realize you're you're giving even a small gift can make a difference here in this community, in L.A., and around the world? And how about your family? Where do you need to be more generous there? Say, well, I'm waiting for them to give. Yeah, you might wait a long time. Why not take a risk? Again, I'm not saying if there's someone who makes no response at all that you keep giving while they abuse or use a loving thing would be to confront and say i love you too much to let it go on like this but you never know your giving may loosen something in their heart when you go to work this week how will you provide a generous heart can you ask genuinely how are you doing to those who don't know Christ look for a way to serve them pray for them and how about our world in pain where there is oppression and abuse and murder will we step up after the first service a man came up to me and said we're going to Thailand to film some of these refugee camps where there's been so much abuse. Praise God. One person going with a young man. He'll bring us a report back. Say, but I can't travel. Health won't allow it. But you know, we can pray here. What will you give to him? Can you say, Jesus, this makes me uncomfortable, but I know it's the truth, and I know I need you. Give me your heart. Help me take some steps. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for those whose hearts resonate and they've offered themselves to you and then to each other. I pray you'll bless them, encourage them. I thank you for the God sightings they're going to experience. And I thank you for the difference it can make in a church like this, in this community and beyond. And now as we bring you our offerings, you said... You like happy givers. We're not simply paying a bill, but we get the privilege of sharing in your great work. Thank you so much for giving everything to us. Just give us your generous heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.